Well, tonight we're going to talk about Mormons. Uh, have you ever been uh, confronted with a Mormon? Yeah, I have been confronted with a Mormon. Maybe somebody might want to uh, share an experience that they had with a Mormon. Anybody want? Matt? Just raise your hand. You got you? You, I'm sorry. All right. Um, yeah, um, it was many years ago. Like, I was in my 20s, so that was a long time ago. But um, two Mormon females came to my house and wanted to talk about their religion, and I let them in. And while we were talking, I started talking to them and read some scriptures with the plan of salvation. And they just looked at each other and smiled, and they said, you can make the Bible say anything. Mm. And then they just decided they were going to leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. This was probably about 28 years ago or so. No, maybe not that long. Maybe 25 years ago. And and when I was in Arizona, I was living with my mom. And the two young gentlemen would come around to the house. And, of course, when my mom came up at the door with me one time, and they would be talking about the Mormons. And my mom was very interesting because she liked to be well-versed on different religions. And she says, uh, I've read your book of the Mormons, and I could talk circles around you. But she said, my faith is a, is a Christian. And so they didn't really argue, and so they started kind of asking her questions. She knew every question because she said, be careful. She goes, you can question me. And the reason I read that, she said, so I know what your religion's about, but that's not mine. And they were not, you know, frowning or anything. And so as bold as my mother was, and I was living there with my daughter who had just gotten a bicycle, and she couldn't write it. And she came right out and says, well, you can do something for my family. And you can teach my granddaughter how to ride a bike. She wanted to see what they would say. Well, guess what? They said, well, Mrs. Hazelbaker, when do you want us back? And we will teach her how to ride a bike. And we won't talk about our religion. And <laughs> so they did. <laughs> how about that? That's great. But we did tell them that we were Christians and that we were believed in our faith and they were just nice young gentlemen who were really not pushing it but uh, mm. we were glad that uh, my mom could converse with them if they needed another answer and she had it right then right well good well you know uh, you think about the Mormon religion you go back and you study about uh, the, the very beginning uh, the prophets their prophets felt like that uh, there was a state of apostasy uh, of the church right after when the apostles had died. And from that point on, it seems like Christianity was going down the hill. And, uh, and so in that type of setting, it opened up an avenue for this particular type of doctrine that we're going to discuss here today. Joseph Smith, of course, is the founder. Uh, Joseph Smith, he was at a, a very young age uh, in the 1820s when he claimed that he had a vision with uh, God the Father and God the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that vision, he uh, believed that they were 
telling him that he's going to restore the church and to restore this doctrine. And then in 1830s is is when the uh, Mormon faith began to be exercised when he claims that this has come about. And so uh, in this vision, it uh, believed that the, the statement of faith of Christianity was polluted. And uh, therefore, God used uh, Joseph Smith to organize his new church. Well, we know, as the Scripture teaches, that uh, Jesus was very plain and very clear about his, uh, his church as he gave the great commission to his uh, disciples. You remember what Matthew 28 tells us. It says that go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them even to the end of the world. And then, of course, the Lord Jesus himself said that, uh, that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And so... Uh, that in itself tells you that they're really way off from the doctrines of the scriptures. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. Uh, they won't deny uh, and the scripture, uh, but they're just saying that their prophet supersedes the authority of scriptures. And so what they have to say would supersede of what anything the scriptures has to say. And that scriptures itself... Uh, has been polluted down through the years of uh, as it's been uh, uh, transposed into different translations. And because of that, you can't take the Scriptures literal as uh, we take it literal. And so we're going to look at that in a little while. But uh, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, uh, Joseph Smith? I know Tim. Yeah. Um, Joseph Smith, he was 39. He died, young guy. Um, he's the founder, first president, uh, so-called modern prophet, seer, uh, re- revelator. Um, he, he reveals divine truth. Uh, he's ranked in importance second. Can you turn me up a little bit, Jonathan? Um, he's ranked in importance second only to Jesus himself when it comes to the salvation of mankind. Um, I don't know about you, but there's a verse, Matthew eleven eleven, where it talks about how John the Baptist was the greatest born among women. You remember that verse? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess he would be third, but... I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but he claims to be second in importance. Um, many believe that the most convincing witness to Joseph's calling as a prophet is that book of Mormon. And they call it the most correct of any book on earth. Um, But you have to do something with Joseph Smith if you're a Mormon. You either believe he is a a prophet like they claim, or it could be the biggest fraud, you know, in history. Um, There's no middle ground. And so that's why it's hard for a Mormon to deny their faith and leave because it would be leaving everything from the Mormons. Um, he's, he denied the biblical view of God. Um, he, he 
produced uh, this version of the Bible in which he took out some parts and inserted others. Mormon leaders have often made incredible statements about the role and character of Joseph Smith. For example, um, Brigham Young, a lot of you know uh, a little bit about him, um, and his counselor, George Cannon, both insisted that the only way a Latter-day Saint could hope to enter the highest level of Mormon heaven, the celestial kingdom, was if he had Joseph Smith's permission. Mormon apostle Bruce McConkie, Uh, also declared that all men in the Latter-day Saints must turn to Joseph Smith to gain salvation, and that Joseph Smith aided God the Father in creation of the earth. I mean, that's how important they view Joseph Smith. Now, we know what the Bible teaches. If you would turn to Deuteronomy 13, if you have your Bibles, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3, it says this, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3, Um, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. So it's very specific. Turn over to Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that That prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. (laughs) Kind of obvious, right? If he foretells this and it doesn't happen, that's not of God. And... um, Joseph Smith, uh, where was it? He falsely predicted that a war between the states would literally become a world war. And although the Bible warns against adding or taking away from what God has commanded, he still produced his own version of that Bible, the Book of Mormon. So, a true prophet of God? Not according to at least the Old Testament verses there. Mm-hmm. I, 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 hello. Hey, um, I watched. I don't know if you guys had the opportunity to see it. You know who Ravi Zacharias is, right? I saw him. <clears throat> excuse me. At the Mormon tab, at the Mormon Tabernacle, the famous one they got out there. They invited him to speak on Christianity, and I watched it. It's very good. You can find it on YouTube somewhere. It's real good to watch. But Ravi, Ravi Zacharias, you know, he's very kind. He didn't. But the way he talked, I mean, he was very good about putting out the gospel and everything and uh they really appreciate it but it's a it's a really good uh it's a really good uh lecture to watch and one thing i would recommend if like with anybody if you should really i don't think you should really talk to the mormons unless you're uh, very well based in the, in the scripture you know if, if you're like a new christian or something maybe and you don't 
or you're not sure yourself what's going on, don't try to get in a, a theological confrontation with, you know, with either uh, Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or anybody like that because you won't be able to, you know, you need to make sure you know what you're saying. The uh, Mormons have uh, four books which are, serve as their, uh, uh, their standard, their, uh, their study books, their standard works. And uh, first of which is the King James Bible. Uh, the second is the Book of Mormons. And then they have their Doctrine and Covenants. And then the Pearl of Great Price. Now, you may have read uh, one of those, especially maybe the Pearl of Great Price or portion of the, um, of the Doctrine and Covenants. But... The King James Version, you know, the irony here is that uh, the Mormons te- will tell you that the King James Version is the least dependable uh, or credible of the four books. Uh, that uh, the more recent uh, works uh, are the ones that uh, upon which they rely. Uh, they publish a version, they publish a, a, a version of the King James it's uh, it's not a Mormon translation. It's a King James uh, version, but they footnote all of Joseph Smith's changes. Uh, Joseph Smith had been uh, supposedly had uh, translated the King James, but basically he just took the uh, King James and uh, made some corrections in the scriptures and footnoted those. So um, uh, they they uh, they tell you that the King James King James is uh, corrupted. And, uh, is, uh, not accepted or only with qualifications. Now, uh, the Book of Mormons, uh, is, uh, a book which was supposedly dictated to, uh, uh, Smith by Moroni, the angel, and, uh, it exists as the primary, um, uh, document of faith for the Mormon church. And then, of course, there's the updates to that, which is the Doctrine and Covenants, which contain more recent revelations. Uh, so the um, what we know, of course, is that uh, it's a, a very serious thing for us to uh, accept uh, anything else in uh, above... The scriptures, as we know the scriptures. Now, of course, um, the, the scriptures, and at the time, um, this they claimed that this was to have been uh, written and so forth. Um, the, the scriptures, as referred to in the King James, were the Old Testament. Okay, and so uh, that is um, uh, so when we understand when the scriptures refer to themselves here that is talking basically about the Old Testament. I think there's a there's a verse in uh, in Second uh, uh, Peter and also one in um, uh, I think it's in John where they refer to uh, some writings of Paul, uh, the epistles of Paul. One there may be a verse in there, but uh, other than that, uh, what had, had was accepted at the time of the writing of the uh, uh, time of the apostles was the uh, the Old Testament was the basic scripture. Uh, and, and, uh, but for our, for our understanding here, it's really important that we know that, uh, this, uh, when we're talking with Mormons, all right, 
about the scriptures, all right, that uh, it's we can use our scriptures, all right, and we, sh- and we should. That's the only thing that we should be using. Uh, they may refute that, but there are uh, passages which they have so um, corrupted, so misinterpreted that it, um, if if you speak kindly, if you're having a good uh, wholesome dialogue with a Mormon, um, this uh, you can eventually confuse them by. Uh, explaining scripture and using scripture to explain the scripture. When you, when you are talking about the scriptures, don't give your opinion of what it means. Let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. Okay. You know, as they would talk about scripture, they would not deny that scripture is not uh, fallible. Uh, what they are thinking and believing is, is that through the ages, as it's been transcribed over and over and over and over and over again, that, um, the trans, the translations have been polluted. I like, uh, I mean, I don't like, but I, I find it interesting of what uh, Orson Pratt, uh, one of the Mormon apostles, uh, said about the scriptures. He said, Who in his right mind could for one moment suppose that the Bible in its present form to be perfect, to be a perfect guide? Who knows that even one verse of the Bible has escaped pollution as to convey the same sense now that it did in the original. Boy, I'm telling you, that's, uh, to me, that's pretty close to blasphemy, really, because uh, talking about the scriptures of being uh, uh, polluted, we take the authority of, of the word of God. We don't take the authority of man. I've said it to you many, many times. I said that... Uh, uh, unless that man speaks, thus saith the Lord, my friend, uh, you have to be careful what he says. But when he says, thus saith the Lord, and quoting the scriptures as the scriptures teaches, that uh, we are to recognize that the scriptures do uh, explain itself. Mormons are given the impression that the Bible has been extensively revised and by corrupt transgressors has brought about this. And that's why they take little view of the, the King James Version or any Bible but of King James Version. Uh, but I'm reminded of what the Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Now, I firmly believe that if God is so sovereign, which I know that he is, that if he can breathe the scriptures into those early writers to be what they are, that God can also guide the transgressor. I mean, the, 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 the transistors. I'll get it right in a minute. Trans, yes, whatever. 
not transgressors, but uh, what did you say? Transcribers. Transcribers. I'll get it right in a minute. That he can guide them. And and uh, I believe and firmly hold strong of the infallibility of the word of God. And I believe that that's what makes this church and our denomination the denomination that we are today is, is that because that we do not question the authority of the word of God and we do not put man ahead of the authority of the word of God. Okay. Yes. My memory's gotten faulty as to, shall we say, the address of some scriptures, but doesn't God's word tell us that he will preserve his word Mm -hmm. to the end? Absolutely. And also, um, I've been through a course before many years ago. Um, It was actually a weekend seminar on this kind of stuff. In the Mormon Bible, and I can't really remember and cite examples, but the main topic is what's really stuck in my brain In the Mormon scriptures, you can actually find contradictions. And if you know those and where they are and show them to those who are at your doorstep, that will blow their mind as well. Absolutely. And the Bible says and tells us we're not to add or take away from the word of God. And and so that's what makes us so uniquely different than from the Mormon church. Um, getting into the Book of Mormon, they, they, they claim it's a miraculous translation of an ancient document. But in 1827. Um, so how ancient of a document is this? Um, the Book of Mormon gives an account of three people groups, the Lehites, Jaredites, and Mulekites who migrated from the Middle East and inhabited the American continents between 2000 B.C. and A.D. 400. Now, the interesting thing they would claim is the coming forth of the Book of Mormon was foretold centuries ago in Ezekiel. If you want to turn there, Ezekiel 37, 16 through 17. I'll give you a second to to go ahead and, and turn there. We'll read that. Ezekiel 37, 16 through 17. Kind of interesting. Again, Ezekiel 37, 16 through 17. As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all of the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick, and they will become one in your hand. The sticks for the Mormons, two books, the Bible and Book of Mormon. When the Hebrew word for stick 
in Ezekiel 37 is never used in connection with books and is consistently translated as a literal stick. So a branch or some other wood product. So in Ezekiel 37, the prophet himself explains that the sticks represent actually two nations, the ten northern tribes of Israel and the two southern tribes of Judah. Israel and Judah had been separated since the reign of King Rehoboam, and each kingdom had its own set of kings. Ezekiel was predicting that God would one day make them a single nation ruled by one king. It's very important to understand. Here's just some things that, you know, some basis of the Book of Mormon. Another interesting thing that you should know, unlike many editions of the Bible, the Book of Mormon is published with no maps. Interesting thing there. In fact, the Latter-day Saints Church cannot locate even one unique Book of Mormon city. And it has failed to provide undisputed proof that the peoples it describes, such as Nephites, really existed. So despite this claim that it's coming from ancient documents, it also talks of, mentions in topics related to Freemasonry and doctrinal confer, uh, controversies such as infant baptism, which is not ancient. It was modern in that day and age. Um, and so ancient document, you know, we're not real sure about, you know, which it might. The uh, <clears throat> their uh, belief about God is is so strange uh, that um, it, it's hard to comprehend. It, it's even harder than our doctrine of the Trinity, I believe. It. But they believe that God, as we know Him, uh, was not originally God; that He was a human being who, through His works. He became God. Now, uh, that, you, you know, how, how they, they reconcile that with, uh, the beginning of all things, I don't know. I'm not quite familiar. And some of you Mormon, uh, researchers or enthusiasts may be, um, uh, familiar with that. I, I don't, didn't get into that. But at any rate, the, uh, we know that God, okay, is the only God. Uh, the Mormons will tell you uh, that um, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. So that we are all, as we move toward eternity and death and so forth, through our good works, we evolve, okay? We become gods. And um, in fact, you can imagine that... Uh, uh, in fact, there was one uh, statement that was made by Orson Pratt, who we, uh, uh, Brother Kelly commu- uh, 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 quoted just a little bit ago. If we should take a million of worlds like this and number their particles, we should find that there are more gods than there are particles of matter in these worlds. Now, that's, that's a pretty strange statement, pretty wild, but uh, at any rate... Uh, that um, is a point where if you begin discussing with Mormons uh, passages like John uh, 1, 1 to 3, or uh, others uh, like uh, James uh, 2.19, I believe. You know what uh, James said? You believe that there is one God, you do well. 
even the demons believe and, and tremble, you know. But um, uh, that the scriptures tell us that before God there was no God. All right? And so uh, there uh, is the, these church leaders, uh, often they, they talk about the eternal laws. Uh, but it's, it's really hard to understand that the God uh, that's worshipped by the Mormons is responsible for these laws since, according to Joseph Smith, God was not eternally God. So uh, here again, somebody was speaking about uh, inconsistencies in the, in, the, in the Book of Mormon and so forth. You know, you run into things like this. So um, that uh, uh, Mormonism teaches that uh, uh, men have the ability to become gods and uh, insist that Mormons who achieve godhood uh, will never become more powerful than the God over this world currently is. All right, so uh, I guess maybe uh, our God has evolved into the chief God right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how that is explained. But the point is, uh, uh, God is described in the Bible, as he is described in the Bible, is not the God in which the Mormons believe. Okay. Mike? Uh, Mormonism, what I found is Mormonism, like all the other uh, religions in the world, are the ones that, that recognize Jesus. Jesus, they don't worship the same Jesus as I. Their Jesus is different. It's not the Jesus of the scriptures. Their, their Jesus, the Mormon Jesus, is a brother of Satan. That's what they say in the same way with uh, on, on Jehovah's Witness that Jesus was a created being by God. So that's what I look for. And anybody that, that takes Jesus down a notch, then there's something wrong coming out of their, yeah. Yeah, out of, out of their mouth. Speaking on that very thing is, is uh, what do they do think about Jesus? And just like Mike was saying just a few minutes ago, that uh they have a different view of Jesus than we do. Uh, as I said last Sunday evening, um, this is the clincher of any religion, is what do they say about Jesus Christ. And uh, if they're not in accordance to what the Scripture teaches, that Jesus is the uh, only begotten Son, that uh, they do not have a proper view of who Jesus is. They believe that Jesus pre-existed in heaven, and uh, he became a man, and he lived on the face of the earth. He died on a cross. He rose bodily from the dead and ascended back into heaven. Well, we would agree to that. But, they also say all humans pre-exist in heaven. In other words, before you were here, you were in heaven, just like Jesus. And uh, Jesus uh, is known and recognized as the firstborn son of God, God's spirit's children, and that uh, many of us have become a God just like Jesus. And uh, they, they believe that Jesus is a part of the Godhead. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, that sounds, well, that sounds pretty close to what we believe. But it's entirely different. They believe there's three separate gods. They don't believe that it's one God with three different types of uh, personalities and and ways that he works through. But they believe that there are three separate gods. And uh, talking about Jesus, by his death and his resurrection, Jesus uh, secured immortality for everybody, saved or non-saved. And so he secured that. Uh, they believe that uh, God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, the three gods, uh, as I said a few, few minutes ago, that they have an ultimate purpose, but it's not the same as we view God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I remember what Jesus said in the Scriptures, is, I and my Father are one, and that uh, it's hard to understand uh, the personalities as far as the functions of the Holy, I mean of the Trinity, but it is a true doctrine of the Scriptures that all three are one and they express themselves in three different manners. <coughs> Jesus is not the first of God's billions of pre-existent spirit children. Instead, he is the only human being to have pre-existed as a spirit in heaven. And then, of course, speaking of Jesus, John the Baptist said, He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. And he who comes from heaven is above all. John 3, chapter 31. I mean, chapter 3, verse 31. Uh, Jesus is from heaven. We're not from heaven. We want to go to heaven. But we're not from heaven. Uh, and uh, he was not uh, born as God's literal earthly son by a sexual union, as they claimed, and was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's that That's how he became uh, God's son. And that you are not to pray in the name of Jesus. Because uh, he is not worthy of that. He is just a God. And uh, by his death and resurrection, Jesus secured resurrection for every one of us. Uh, Dead, uh, those that who have died in the Lord and those that have died outside the Lord. The Bible talks about there will be two resurrections. And, um, And the wicked will face eternal damnation. And the saved will face eternal rewards. And so uh, uh, we're waiting for his return, for his, for his church. And so um, God is the only true God, and there are not many, many gods. Only one God. Amen? If I were to ask you, by show of hands, this question, can we earn our salvation? How many of you would raise your hand saying, yes, the Mormons believe you can earn your salvation? Do the Mormons believe you can earn your salvation? Raise your hand if you would believe that. Yes, that's, that's true for them. They believe that they can earn their salvation. Uh, the first presidency, uh, Thomas Munson 
stated, it is the celestial glory which we seek. It is in the presence of God we desire to dwell. It is a forever family in which we want membership. Such blessings must be earned. It's from the first president of the Mormons. I'm going to read to you Titus 3, 4, and 5. Okay? If, just remember that. 3, 4, 5. Easy. And go to Titus 3, 4 through 5. But I'll read this real fast for you. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's truth. I don't know what would happen if you presented that scripture to a Mormon, how they would respond. Because it's very clear right there that not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, okay? Um, They also, it's interesting because they believe that they have a concept of repentance, but it's you have to turn from all sin, or that can jeopardize your pursuit of the celestial kingdom, which is eternal life. So, like according to the Mormon president, Spencer Kimball, he said, living all the commandments guarantees total forgiveness of sins and assures one of exaltation. So if you fall short and you have a repeated sin and you haven't repented from that sin and haven't turned from that, you haven't been forgiven all of your sins. You are in jeopardy of not being saved, according to them. Um, And so we know what we believe, that Jesus Christ, His work alone uh, paid for our sin debt. And so we know that's how we can get our salvation. If um, you were a Mormon and you wanted to make it to the celestial heaven, what would you have to do? What's the main thing that you have to do? Anybody know? Pray for the dead. Pray for the dead. You may be familiar, you may have heard uh, some things about the Mormon church that maintains this, uh, these archives that, uh, of um, ancestry. Anybody ever uh, are familiar with those? It is. It's the largest uh, data bank in the world relating to ancestry. Uh, and the reason they do that is so that a person can trace their ancestry back as far as it goes and pray for those ancestors. That is the way, the primary way, that's their primary responsibility anyway. And so many Mormons spend a great deal of time trying to trace their ancestry, go back and pray for them. And and, and uh, one of the reasons uh, that um, you see so many uh, Mormon temples in this country, or anywhere now, is uh, because the temple is the place where those who are Mormons uh, go to uh, engage in 
the uh, rituals and the rites of the church. Uh, things such as uh, uh, the uh, rite of, um, oh, goodness sake, what was it called? Well, they call them tokens, um, uh, such as um, hand, uh, the handshakes, special handshakes, uh, uh, arm gestures, and special phrases, phrases or key words. And Brigham Young uh, says that uh, he would teach that after a Mormon dies, after he departs this life, that his knowledge of these secret things that they learned in temple uh, were, uh, the, these words and so forth, were necessary for them to know in order to pass the angelic um, uh, guards, the sentinels, on the way to the celestial heaven. So, um, <laughs> the, the, these kinds, and of course, uh, there are a number of, it's, all this is very, very secret. Uh, you are not, things which you learn in temple, uh, as a Mormon, are not to be discussed with anyone outside of the temple there. It's even with other Mormons. That's, uh, that, that's just a rule. You just don't do it. And uh, to uh, violate that rule can subject you to very se- severe penalties. So uh, the, uh, uh, that's the reason for uh, the temples. Basically, it's uh, uh, the place where they uh, engage in uh, these um, secret rites where they're trained. Uh, and you cannot get into one of these temples unless you're a Mormon. So, I thought interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. What is the one thing that, when you think about a Mormon, what is the one thing you think about? Family. Another that they have that they really are well known for. Choir. Yeah, the Mormon tabernacle. They're, they're good. Yeah. <laughs> what about polygamy? Yeah, polygamy. Polygamy. Yeah. What about polygamy? Uh, back in the latter 1800s, they felt like that uh, in, it was essential for a Mormon man to achieve godhood by having more wives. And... Um, and so uh, uh, they entered into this practice of polygamy. In the early uh, 1900s, uh, they were pressured to stop that. They were pressured to stop uh, polygamy. And, but they believed that uh, when the uh, second coming of, of the Son of Man comes and the millennium will reign, that uh, they will uh, commence again with polygamy and that that will come and be effect. Well, we know that uh, polygamy, the Bible has nothing to say about polygamy uh, uh, being a part of our salvation and certainly not making us to become a God. Uh, I think it's interesting how they get away from the Scriptures where the man, where the Bible says a man was to cleave to his wife, didn't say his wives, but that he should cleave to his wife. 
And Jesus says, the two shall become one. Didn't say anything about three, four, five, six, seven, or eight become one. And so uh, uh, there in itself, you begin to see of how they distort Scripture. Well, let me... Let us conclude just for a few moments. Our time is running out. But let us conclude by thinking and talking uh, a few moments about how do you go about talking to a Mormon. Uh, I I still go back to the uh, general statement, whether he's a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, or uh, a Muslim, or whatever, no one can deny your personal testimony. And uh, your personal testimony is something that is valid. And so to share your personal testimony uh, and the way that you came about receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody can deny that. But don't assume when you're talking to Mormons uh, that you they are defining the same words as you are defining them. When you talk about salvation, they talk about salvation in another sense. When, they, when you talk about Jesus Christ, they're talking about Jesus Christ in another sense. And so don't assume that uh, the terms are the same, or the, or the words are the same, that the meanings are the same. So you need to be careful of that. I think that when you do talk to them, that you need to define your terms. You need to define that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. uh, He is a part of the Trinity. He is part of the Godhead. And that uh, uh, eternal life has come through him and through him only. It's by grace and grace alone, as the Bible says, that we receive salvation. And so uh, don't assume what an individual Mormon believes is that, uh, that all Mormon believers believe what they believe. A lot of times they're, they're just as mixed up as a, as a, a termite and a yo-yo. I mean, you know, they just, uh, they, they don't necessarily believe everything what their leaders believe. But I go back and I, I stress again, never become argumentative. I think that destroys your testimony. Uh, you need to be harmonious when you talk to them. You need to be kind. You need to generate and express that Christ-like spirit. And as you discuss the scriptures with them, and, and I encourage you to do that, my, my friend, that you, what that will do will help you to define your beliefs even stronger to make sure that you know what you believe and why you believe it. The problem with so many Christians today is, is they think they know, and they don't know why they know. And, and that is a tragedy. We need to know what the Scriptures teaches. We need to know our doctrines. We're going to talk one night about the Baptist faith and message and, the major, and why we believe what we believe. And we're going to talk about that. Why we believe in the the Trinity. Why we believe in Jesus Christ. Why we believe in the Holy Spirit. Why we believe 
of, of, of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why we believe of the inerrancies of the scriptures. So these are my suggestions to you. There's also um, uh, the pastors uh, trying to encourage you to be very careful about the things that you try to discuss with them. I mentioned uh, a little bit ago about some of these secret rites and uh, so forth that took place in the temple. Um, you really don't want to. And, of course, these things are kind of fun to find out, you know, and challenge them and uh, try to, you know, uh, get them off um, um, uh, off focus and so forth. But that's that's not helpful to do that. It can shut down a conversation pretty quickly, uh, talking about baptism of the dead and so forth, which, by the way, is something I meant to say, uh, not just praying for the dead, but baptized, being baptized for the dead. That's actually part of it, okay, uh, a very significant part. So that's critical. But, you know, uh, feel free to talk with them about, as the pastor is saying, about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, as well as salvation, these things are uh, things that we can speak to and, and the whole, where the Holy Spirit can actually do his work uh, and those things. And uh, so the, the uh, one other thing that uh, you want to be careful about is if you have literature on the Mormon church, okay, that's written by other than Mormons, uh, be careful about using that. They're going to be very suspicious of anything like that. The only thing that they uh, can uh, will talk about is their, the literature that's written by the Mormon church. Okay, so... Um, uh, if you're serious uh, about engaging and, and dialogue and talking with a, a Mormon, um, y- yes, you'll, you'll need a King James Bible uh, because that's what they believe. Um, to memorize some of their leaders' quotes, like we mentioned tonight, and and throw that to them, then say, you know, tell me about that. Um, that will go really far because they've then seen that you are familiar with their teaching, but you don't have to memorize everything. You don't have to read the Book of Mormon. You don't have to. You know, like we've said, as FBI investigators look at counterfeit, read the truth so that you know when a false thing comes along. But if you were to memorize a couple of quotes from these Latter-day Saints uh, leaders to engage them in conversation, um, they would then say, oh, you, you've read some resources we see, uh, you know, but then it would challenge them to start researching and, and coming to the understanding of what they believe and why... They believe it. Um, and don't think you need to cover every topic. Um, that, you know, so I think some maybe in here have even had some uh, Mormons come to their house, and then, you know, they'll, you'll talk for a while, and then they'll go away, and then they'll come back. You know, um, you know, be patient with them. It will take them, if they were to leave the Mormon church, um, they would have to be convinced. And, and so it would take several meetings um, to be able to uh, talk to them and, and engage them and uh, move them towards salvation. So, um, again, it's all about engaging people. This whole uh, study that we've been doing is not to cower, not to be afraid to engage people. 
because they need the truth of the Word of God. As long as we're studying the truth and can present that, let the Word of God do what it's supposed to do. Uh, you're, you're that messenger, you know, that, that uh, the, the sharer of the truth, and, and let God's Word penetrate and move in their hearts. Yeah, and, and I want you to understand the Scriptures will speak for itself. Um, uh, and don't underestimate the way the Holy Spirit uses the Scriptures. The Bible says that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's really not what we think, it's, but it's what the Bible says, what is truth. And, and so when you're talking to them, uh, you don't want to be saying, well, in my opinion, it's not my opinion, it's what the Scripture says. And that's what, that's our authority that we stand on. Are there any questions tonight? Comments? All right. When they stopped by my house the last time, I, I told them that uh, after we got through talking, I said, I will uh, give you a hit. I will, I will tell you that. What you're doing riding around out here and stopping to talking to people is, is uh, I said, I, I wish I had that courage. That courage, too, because they ride around. And, and if, if we as Christians would do the same thing like them, just stop, stop with anybody you see and start talking, there'd be a lot more Christians running around. Probably. I couldn't agree with you anymore. I think we need to have the boldness of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons <laughs> and uh, to be as diligent. Did I see, Russell, did you raise your hand? Uh, as Matt goes back there, I, I uh, am very appreciative of their commitment, uh, even though that it's committed in a wrong manner. Yes, brother. Uh, I just want to say that uh, one of the best books I've read uh, in dealing with Mormons from an apologetic standpoint, from a witnessing standpoint, is Reasoning from the Scriptures uh, with Mormons by a man named Ron Rhodes. It's very well written. It's concise. But it's to the point, and um, I think if you are, like Tim said, if you are interested in actually engaging these people, uh, it's the best, it's probably one of the best books I've come across. As you said, you know, let Scripture speak for itself. Amen. The Word of God is powerful, and uh, it, it will not return void. Give us the name once again. Maybe called, somebody wants to write that down. It's called Reasoning from the Scriptures with Mormons. By Ron Rhodes. That's uh, last name is R H O D E S. Very good. Very good. Anybody else before we close? Matt. Um, it, um, when you're talking to somebody, you know, the scripture says to be um, talk with gentle when you're talking about somebody about this about the conversation with about the about this gospel and stuff. I don't remember where it is, but I, I remember that's one of the scriptures it was talking about. Hmm. That's true. Very good. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for uh, allowing us to come together and talk about the these things that we've been speaking about here tonight. Lord, we pray for our Mormon friends. We pray, Father, that they may see the light. And that they might experience the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. And to realize that salvation is a free gift. 
It's a salvation that has been bought with a price. It's a salvation that has paid the penalty of sin. And so, Father, we thank you for that wonderful, wonderful truth and that we, too, today can have eternal life. And, Lord, we're grateful that as we go, may you give us opportunities, boldness, wisdom, and power to be a witness to all men. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, yeah, we've got copies of these. Uh, You're welcome to come by and get one. One for per family, if you would, please. We only have about 60.